Okay, praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And, and as you get there, uh, I'll lead you to where we're going. Uh, this, um, this study tonight actually is really going to focus on three qualities or three uh, tips, if you will, practices, keys, whatever you want to call them, heart sets uh, for uh, spiritual maturity. Uh, we want to we look at uh, a few things, but before we get to those three points, I do want to kind of um, bring you to a passage of Scripture that kind of sets it up. And if you look at, you're at chapter 4 in the book of Acts, um, and before we get there in chapter uh, 4, uh, verse 1, before we get there, I'm going to ask this question that you can think about as we're studying tonight is think about, and I know the answer is probably yes for everyone, have you ever been wronged? Have you ever been done wrong by somebody? And how did you respond? That's a question that, you know, that's the answer you have. How did you respond? Are you proud of the way you responded when you were under extreme pressure? Maybe one of the most extreme pressures of your life. Are you ashamed of how you responded? Proud in, in the sense of, praise the Lord, you responded correctly and you, you glorified the Lord in, in your, in your uh, response but that's a question I want to bring out to everyone because we may not always respond the best way when we're under pressure, depending on the circumstances, the situation, how we're being drilled or whatever it might be. But the thing is, even though we may not always respond correctly, we should always be being prepared for when that time comes, when we're insulted, when we're treated wrong, when we're done something that seems unfair or hurtful so that we do glorify the Lord in how, how we respond to things. So now, in Acts chapter 4, before we even start in Acts chapter 4, something going on in Acts 3, and I, I really would just love to read the whole chapter of 3 and 4, but we're not. We're going to focus a little bit of area here just to springboard into those three areas that I think will help with spiritual maturity, because we do need to be mature believers, and we should desire to be mature believers. But in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray. It's an hour for, uh, for the hour of prayer, and they're on their way to, to there. And there's a guy who is lame from birth, and they would bring him, or they were carrying him actually, and they were carrying him, and they would place him there at the gate, and he would ask for alms. And as they were carrying him, uh, he sees uh, Peter and John as they're going up to go pray. And you know what? He asks for uh, alms. And what happens is he ends up being, uh, you know, healed. Uh, Peter says something like, uh, you know, a silver and gold I, I don't have, but in the name of Christ. And he heals him. And so he leaps up, and now they kind of gain a new friend. And what takes place is this guy is healed. People are tripping out. They are amazed that this guy, who would be sitting at the gates always, being carried and propped up there, this guy is now walking. He was, he was healed, and it says here that um, in Acts chapter 3, it says that after he was healed, that he entered the synagogue with uh, Peter and John. So now he, he actually says that he clung to them. He was their buddy. And so they were pretty much hanging out, but they went into the temple, or to the, the temple, and what takes place is people are incredibly amazed. And so Peter addresses everyone because they are blown away of what just happened. And he begins to explain, and he begins to talk about Jesus. And then what happens is we get to Acts chapter 4. 
And so it's important to understand that Peter and John have, were just going to, uh, to a temple. And there's a lot there. I mean, we could talk about this because there's someone I want to be like in this chapter 4. And I want all of us to desire to be like. And that's Peter. And you think, well, there's a lot of things that Peter did that we don't want to do. And we don't want to be like Peter in a lot of ways and things that he, he did do in the past. But the way he responds in chapter 4 is pretty powerful. And we want to know how to get there. So he addresses the people because they are amazed. They are in wonder of what's taking place uh, for this guy. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, let's read some verses together. They will be on the board to make it easy for you. Um, and on your screens for you at home. Acts chapter 4. Let's begin reading. It says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So now, they're talking about Jesus, resurrection from the dead, and these guys do not like this. Jesus was not liked. Jesus is dead. He rose from the grave, and now he's bringing up the topic. In, in verse 3, and they laid hands on them, and let me stop right there. I'm not saying that they went over and laid hands on them and prayed for them. They laid hands on them and put them in prison until the next day, for it was already late. So they had to spend the night in prison. Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men to be uh, the, the men came to be about five thousand. Things were happening; people were being saved. They were being added to the kingdom. And here is we have Peter. Peter is addressing the people, and Peter, the fisherman, the former fisherman, is seeing this done. The Lord is using him. I want to be used by the Lord. You want to be used by the Lord. I trust. In, in whatever gifts that he's given you. So Peter, the fisherman, is speaking and people are believing. And that's powerful. That's amazing right there. You know, I think of Peter and a fisherman and, you know, he's probably spent a lot of his life out in the boats and fishing. Not really speaking to people. I don't understand. I don't think in the scriptures we show him <clears throat> as being any great speaker. But here he is speaking and people are being saved. And, you know, the other night, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was going through the channels, and there was this outdoor channel, and I was watching, I was recording, recording some uh, things. And this guy, I believe it was a fisherman. I don't think it was a hunter. I think it was a fisherman. And so they had cameras, and it was like one of those, um, what do you call those, uh, reality-type shows. They're filming him, they're doing stuff, and he's explaining stuff to the cameras. And this guy should not be behind a camera because he couldn't explain what he was doing. But I, I bet this, I bet if the lights were off, the cameras were off, and you're sitting there in the boat with him, he could explain what he's doing. And you could learn a lot from him because of he knows his trade. But he was not a speaker. But here's uh, Peter, a fisherman. He is now speaking. He is being used by God. So when I think of that guy, it made me laugh when I saw that. And I saw this, and I'm thinking, wow, Peter. That is pretty amazing that he's using someone like Peter. You know, it reminds me of the Lord using people. And I am I'm probably, I'm trying not to get hung up in this passage here because there's a lot here, but uh, bear with me. Thinking of Peter, using people, using us, he will use us. 
But we have to be surrendered to the Lord, and he will use us. You know, I think of my, uh, my brother-in-law, Sid. Some of you may remember him. He's passed away now. But uh, Sid was not a fisherman, but he was a troublemaker. In and out of trouble. Constantly in trouble. And at one point in his life, uh, you know, he became a believer. But before he became a believer, he tried, he, well, he avoided going to jail by getting into a men's home, a Christian men's home at a church where actually I eventually got saved. And it was because of him, after him being saved, his influence and his mentorship that brought me to the Lord. And I think, wow, he used Sid, this troublemaker, and he was a great speaker. He really had a way about explaining the scriptures and even preaching. I really, uh, you know, adored and, and just in, in the Lord, uh, godly envied him the way he would just share and his heart for people. And so, as a result, I'm saved. Carol got saved. My mother got saved. There's many people that were saved as a result of his ministry. And I think of that using someone like Sid, using someone like Peter. You know, Carol and I have the, uh, the honor of teaching weekly Bible studies at uh, Women's Lighthouse uh, for women and children out in Oxnard, and it truly is a blessing. And one thing I try to emphasize to them is, you know, other than, of course, they're committing to the Lord, surrendering to the Lord, and changing their lives in the Lord, is the fact, the story, and the understanding of my brother-in-law, Sid, of how through a ministry such as that lighthouse, that how they can be used because of the incredible testimony they will have, being surrendered to the Lord, coming from a life of maybe homelessness or drugs or what have you, and the testimony and how far it can go. And I try to let them know that the Lord will use you to what degree? I don't know, and to whatever gifts that he has given you. So here Peter is being used. And look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders, scribes, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas, and uh, John, and Alexander, and all who were high of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? In other words, heal this guy. And when we look at this, what they did was they surrounded him. They surrounded them, Peter and John. And they started uh, grilling them with questions. So this crowd is kind of like the who's who of the, of the high priestly uh, descent. And so... And so when you, when you think of this, they are under extreme pressure. Think of, think of, this, think of this, this way, if it's you. And you've done something for the Lord. And someone doesn't like it. A group of people that are high-ranked, and they encircle you, and they begin to grill you. Well, you know, that can happen to us even today. That can happen to us by our own family members, maybe a college professor, you know, maybe by buddies, maybe friends or what have you, maybe in the workplace, and you get grilled or attacked and questioned for your faith. And so here they're getting grilled. And they were uh, placed in, in jail. And this is the next day. As, and uh, it says here in verse 8. It says, now here's Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, then stop right there is this is a moment where, if you want to remember what's probably going on here, in, right in your Bibles, something like, really? Seriously? That kind of gives me the impression that what's taking place here with Peter. And his response is like, if, if we're on trial today for actually doing something good, 
Are you being serious right now? But the most important part of verse 8 is that it says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's how the Lord used him. It was the Lord through him that was being used in speaking to these people, people getting saved. The word here, filled, is in a passive voice. In other words, we see Peter just yielding to the Spirit and allowing the Lord to minister to these people, allowing the Lord to use him. He yielded. It's a, he didn't, there's no emotion build, build up. There's no pep talk to himself. He didn't fire himself up. There's no emotional or, or ritualistic thing going on before he preaches. He just yields to the Spirit. And then these things take place. And then he begins to speak. And it also means this word filled, it means it indicates a, a new filling, a refreshing of the Spirit. It, what it means here is that, that is that the Lord prepped him or equipped him for the moment. And the Lord will equip us for those moments. The same way, he will give us a fresh filling, a new filling of the Holy Spirit for the situation we're in. But we need to know how to get there, to be ready to be like Peter. In verse 10, it says, Let it be known to all you and all the people of Israel that by the name of uh, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by the name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. So here's Peter. He's bold. He's unashamed of the gospel. He's talking about Jesus, and he's saying that Jesus heals and Jesus changes hearts. We see that. We know that. Are we bold like Peter in sharing truths like this when we are under pressure? Or do we, like a chameleon, blend in with the world and not speak up? I want us to be like Peter. Verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, he says. For there is no one, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. And he's saying must. What he's saying is there is no other way. It has to be through Jesus Christ. Absolutely through Jesus Christ. So he's making it clear of the gospel, very clear to these people. Now, In verse 13, Acts 4, 13, it says, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So the bottom line here is they were observing because they were questioning them. They want to know, what are they going to say? They're observing them. They were trying to discern what these guys were going to say, what he was going to say. And they were observing his confidence. And this confidence is born out of or fueled by the Holy Spirit. It can't be denied. It speaks of them being as uneducated or ordinary men or untrained is because they didn't go to the rabbinical schools or what have you, but yet he spoke like this with power and authority. It says that they were astonished or amazed. They were marveling because, after all, this is a fisherman speaking like this. It also says here that they recognized them having been with Jesus. 
that they had been with Jesus. And in the Greek, it means a pro, for a prolonged period of time, which is true. They spent time with Jesus. How important it is that we spend time with Jesus so that we are equipped, filled with the Spirit, a new filling of the Spirit to rise up when we need to. So Acts 14 in the New Living Translation says it like this. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You see, I want to be like these guys. I want us to be like these guys. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 says this. You yourselves, Paul writes, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ. I'm sorry, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So we're letters to be read by people. So it it goes on to say, and you show that you are written, a letter written from, I'm sorry, you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So not only should we want to be like these guys, we need to be like these guys. We must be like these guys because people are watching us. The importance of it stands out when you realize like, wow, okay, I want to be like that. I want to be able to rise up the occasion, be filled with the Spirit. But more, not just because you're surrendered to the Lord, ultimately because you're surrendered to the Lord, but because people are going to be saved, that you're being used by the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians now, uh, 13, verse 11. Now, this verse is interesting. Paul is writing and he's speaking of the gifts. And when he, what happens is he's talking about love, he's talking about the gifts, and then he's talking about when the perfect comes, then we'll know more, we'll know all. Because right now we see things dimly. And in, in verse 13, 11, it says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So what's happening is he's talking about the perfect. He's talking about when things perfect comes, but then he gives an example or he gives an analogy. And so there's a lot that we're going to learn when it comes to perfection or in heaven that we don't understand right now in the temporal. But what he goes and does is he gives an example of childhood to manhood. And so he talks about a child. And that word is nepias, an infant or a little child. Let's read it again. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Yeah. And think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So he's trying to give the example of just the natural growth of a child to an adult. And when we see this, it's interesting to understand some certain things that we are going to naturally change from children to older guys, older people. And we get rid of all the junk, all the dumb stuff, all the silly things that, we, that don't mean anything in life. And then we get real and we become adults, usually, right? Well, spiritually, it needs to take place. This same thing needs to take place spiritually for us. It says that I did away with childish things. Did away with is kartageo. And it means to deprive or to render idle. It's sort of like to be unemployed or to be fired, to get rid of something. And so we need to, of the things that would anchor us down, childish ways, 
spiritually speaking, we need to get rid of. We need to fire them almost, so to speak, as the word implies, to just get rid of them. And think about this. As we look at Peter, we're looking at these guys, is how about us? How are we viewed right now? How are we viewed when we're, we're dealing with pressure? When we're being, our faith is being questioned or mocked? How do we respond? How does the world view us? Just general, how are you viewed? Are you normally known as a nice person? Do they know you're a believer? Do people come to you for prayer? Do people have any clue of your life in the Lord? That's an interesting question. And I wonder, has anybody ever heard what people are thinking about you? It'd be interesting to go around and maybe ask a third party and say, what do people see? Trying to find out, am I truly an ambassador for Christ? Am I glorifying the Lord with my life? You know, early on when I was saved, early on, I remember um, I heard about myself, what people were thinking about me. And I worked in the office, and you know, in corporate office, there's a birthday, and what, is, what do they do? They bring in a cake, right? They gather everybody into a room, and they sing birthday and everything. Everybody has a piece of cake, and then they get back to work. Well, early on in my walk, I, there was, there was, these people were, they were party-type people and all, and I just didn't want anything really to do with them. So I just stopped going to those little birthday cake things, because it was just a waste of time for me. Well... Somehow, as a result of that, and you can understand, word got out that Steve is a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because I guess because I didn't celebrate birthdays. Well, that wasn't the thing. And when I learned of that, when I found that out, I'm like, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. Well, obviously, they don't know I'm a Christian. Maybe they think that is. Um, so I started going back to those things, and, and I, started, I learned something. And so spiritually, I learned some things that I needed to do, and that was the importance of being known as a Christian, a born-again Christian, a follower of Christ, and not to isolate myself, not to isolate myself just because I didn't want to associate with them. Wow, you know, the Lord is the best thing for them, so I should be around them to, to minister, and so I realized the importance of being an ambassador and so the time, though, to grow up, we have to take advantage of the time and grow up in the faith. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And I'm getting to those three principles in one minute. It's time to grow up now. We need to be spiritually mature. Now, um, we need to grow our walks, our faith, our reputation, or our character, because our character will um, change our reputation if there's flaws. Um, but that's the goal of every believer, to grow in the faith, to mature in the faith. In fact, it's expected of every believer. Matthew 5.48 says, If you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, it's important to understand that that word perfect Telios means to be brought to its end, full-grown, adult, to mature. So when you read this and you're thinking, whoa, I can't be perfect. No, we're not perfect. And we're not going to be perfected until we get into heaven, until we're dead and we're with the Lord. And then the perfect arrives or comes. But we must be, and put in this word, write it down in your notes, in your mind, whatever. You must therefore be mature as your heavenly Father is perfect. So for us, it's to mature, to grow, teleos. 
Interesting is the Amplified Bible. And this one kind of intrigued me. I never look at the Amplified, and I did on this one. And check this out. I think it's on the screen. Look at the brackets. It says, you, therefore, will be perfect. Brackets. Growing into spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I kind of like that because it explains not perfect, but growing, maturing. And that is what we need to do. And how can I mature my faith? How can I grow? I think we all know all types of answers. I came up with three for tonight. And those are these three. Um, turn to Luke 14, chapter, uh, verse 26 and 27. It'll be on the wall. You don't have to actually turn there. But number one is this. Looking at that word teleos. Let's look at that word teleos to mature and find out some three things that will help us to mature. In Luke 14, 26, it says, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, um, I had an opportunity to be in Idaho, was it a couple weeks ago? And we went over this verse, and we had a great time in it and understanding that word hate, which simply means love less. There is a prioritizing that takes place. It's not that we hate um, someone um, or our mothers or fathers or children, brothers, sisters. Brothers and sisters here, it's referring to really the brethren, your brothers in Christ, you know, harmony in, in, in the church and whatever, unity. So... We cannot be his disciple if he is not first. So number one is placing the Lord first. Genuinely placing the Lord first in your lives. That will get us to a point where we are mature. Where we mature. Um, Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And here's an example of really not putting the Lord first. And when you read this, well, it helps us understand whether or not we have the Lord first. And in Mark chapter, t- uh, Mark chapter 10, we read about the rich young ruler. The young man, lots of money, a lot of belongings. It says in verse 17, and as, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this rich young ruler runs up to Christ. And it's interesting is before this takes place, Jesus is ministering and he, he says, don't forbid the children to come to me. And he, he blesses the children. And I don't know if this young, because he's a young man, not an old guy. I don't know if this young guy saw that. I, I, I don't know. But if he did, perhaps he saw Jesus ministering to young children and saying not to forbid them from coming to me. And maybe that encouraged him as a young person to run after the Lord and ask this question. And it's interesting that he asks this question. There's a lot of people that run to the Lord. There's a lot of people that fall before the Lord. They they run to him. They seek him. They want to see heaven. They They want eternal life. They desire salvation. They desire to be in heaven, as we do. But then when we look at this guy... In verse 18, it says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. 
Um, honor your father and your mother. If my kids are watching, I'll read that again. <laughs> honor your father and your mother. And, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I want to know how he said that. Like, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Yes. Maybe that's what he was thinking. I'm good. I'm all right. I have eternal life. And so it says that, <clears throat> that um, I've said these, I, I've done all these things while I was like, like young people from my youth. Um, but here's the thing. We people, the human heart, can replace a true surrender or the Lord first with selfishness and maybe not even know it. Look at Mark 10, verse 21. It says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. <clears throat> Look at Matthew 19.21, says it this way of this situation. Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, or teleos, if you want to be perfect, young man, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. He said, there is one thing you lack. So this young guy was checking the boxes. I've done that. I do that. And sometimes we can get caught up in checking the boxes. I, I do that. I've done that. Oh, I do that all the time. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. Did his heart drop? Did he know what Jesus was going to say? What would Jesus say to us? There's one thing you need to do, Steve. There's one thing you lack. There's one issue I'm concerned about, Steve. There's one, two, three. How would the Lord answer us. And that's something we need to put, our pla put ourselves in his place often. And one, Is there anything, Lord, reveal anything if I'm putting anything before you. Putting the Lord first is key. Many people realize this. Sometimes, you know, you think of the parable of the sower and people will come to the Lord. They're excited. The devil takes it away or in time because of trials and of the Based on the word, they fall away. But many people will go away sorrowful. But that is one of the keys, placing the Lord first, making sure that there's nothing between you and the Lord. And I don't know the answer to that. We all know the answer of that for ourselves. It says, do you... If you want to be complete, if you want to be mature, if you want to be teleos. This guy was blind to his bondage, and so we have to make sure we don't gradually, because it sometimes happens that way, we gradually become blinded because we start to put something in place of God or before God, and we, don't, and we love him less. So number one, that mark of maturity would be putting the Lord first, placing him first. Always. The second thing that I believe will help 
with mature or perfection, if you will, maturity. The second one is a desire for personal and church spiritual growth. Having a desire for it. A sincere desire for it. It's a question we would ask ourselves. Do I desire to grow personally? Do I, am I really desiring to grow in my walk? Do I also have a desire that this church grows in their walk, in its effectiveness, in its ministries? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Now, here Paul's writing again, and in verse 14, he's talking about biblical, some serious biblical truth here. Serious biblical truth that today's church is in extreme error in a lot of ways. Eh, not all the churches, but churches that, that have to do with the gifts, specifically the gifts of, of tongues. And here he's instructing some serious biblical truth, um, the gifts of, the, of tongues, uh, the abuse of it, um, and he's about to instruct uh, the biblical practice of it, how it's supposed to be done. But Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth has a lot of issues. They have a lot of problems. And then he says this. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, do not, because I'm going to tell you something really heavy. I mean, I'm going to feed you some meat right now. And he says, Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking be mature, be perfect, be teleos. He's saying, do not be children, do not be pedions, little boys, little girls, or little ones. Don't be like children. Or, you know, yet in evil, don't be like children, be like infants. He takes it even lower. Stop being like children. But when it comes to evil, be like infants. And then he goes back and says, but in your thinking, be mature. He needs them to be uh, grown up. He needs them to be like adults and understand what he's un about to, to teach on. So in that church of, of Corinth, they're abusing the gifts. They're selfish. There's drunkenness, division. They are majoring in the flesh and minoring in the spirit. So immaturity was hindering this church on their growth. It was, her, it was hindering them. It was help everybody individually, or not everybody, but they were suffering spiritual growth, personal spiritual growth. And church unity was suffering as well. Holy living was being affected. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 1, Paul wrote, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. You know, it's, it's sad if, if a preacher is trying to I'm tell them some good, deep truths today, and I hope they pay attention. Well, if you're here and you're not here to pay attention, you're not going to learn much. If you're here like a child and you're like, you know, waiting for lunchtime for the pastor to finish, uh, you're probably not going to grow much. And the pastor's heart is that hoping that they can grasp it. And so here, um, it says here that... Um, they're hindered. I couldn't address you, be, be, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. In verse 2 it says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy, strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving 
only in a human way? You see, here's how it should work. And Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4. And the scriptures are on the wall. I'll just read it through. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain the, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verse 14 it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see, if we don't grow up in our understanding or our thinking, and, and we're not growing up in our thinking of the spiritual truths that are being taught to us, we're not going to learn, and we're not going to grow, and we're going to stay like infants. So we do have to adjust our thinking like adults to, to learn, or we'll remain like kids. If, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> in fact, in the classes on Sundays, I teach the older elementary, and I had a bunch of uh, new ones now, now that we're back in class, and a lot of the age kind of shifted. We have little guys that come up, they graduate, I guess, if you will, and, uh, you know, and so the challenge begins, right? You have little ones that you have to minister to, and then the older ones that you got to minister to, and so you're hoping that, okay, I hope they're ready to listen and to sit still long enough and to pay attention because I really want to teach them something today. And you have to work with them because they're still young and they're still children. And so you work with them. And, uh, and, and so that's the hope. That's the hope that the, the pastors have at the pulpit, that this church is listening, that they're willing to, to respond like adults beyond the little children's class, beyond the elementary, the older elementary, but like adults ready to be here to learn. So immaturity was hindering them, their spiritual growth, their personal growth, the church's growth. Um, Ephesians 4.1 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And then look at verse 3. Paul writes, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that is key because, yes, we should be saying, yes, I want to grow. I want to mature in my thinking. Pastor Joe, what does he have for me this Sunday? I want to learn. I want it to, to deepen my, my faith, to strengthen my faith, my walk. And then in verse 3 here, eager to maintain the unity of Spirit in the bond of peace. The second part of that is not just for myself, but for the sake of my brothers and sisters. So when you're hearing and you're learning and you're applying things in your life, you're going to know to love one another greater. And the church will be stronger for it. Eager, that word is spudadzo, and it means to hasten, to be diligent, uh, to be diligent, to be zealous, to use speed. Instead of dragging our feet, but to be eager about it. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word bond is sundesmas, and it means a uniting principle. Figuratively, it's like a joint and the ligaments of a joint. And that's how important it is. Think of a, of a knee without ligaments. Not going to be able to do much, right? 
You're not going to be able to walk. But if you have ligaments, the key or the importance of ligaments is this, is how we should look at it, is look at, I'm eager. I'm diligent to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. So that second mark of maturity, if you will, is a a sincere, to earnestly desire a personal and church spiritual growth. Not just for myself. Because if I want just my growth, you guys worry about yourselves, then I'm not being part of the body. I'm being selfish. I need to be selfless. That my growth will impact my brothers and sisters. Your growth will impact me as well. And this church will stand strong. The third teleos, the third um, principle of maturing is a genuine desire to learn God's word. A genuine desire to learn it. Now, it, not just to grow, not just a desire to grow, but to learn it. I want to learn. I mean, you know what? If you, there's something you enjoy, you're going to Google it. You're going to figure it out. You're gonna, how many of you have learned things from YouTube? Do it yourself things, right? How many of you have ruined things by trying to follow a YouTube video? Nobody? Oh, nobody wants to raise their hand. Okay. Actually, I don't think I've ever ruined anything. I've had fun, but... <clears throat> but you know what? We, when you, you want to figure something out or you enjoy something, um, you, you YouTube it. You read about it. You take classes about it. You want to learn because you have a genuine desire to learn. Well, we want to have a genuine desire to learn God's Word. Hebrews 5.11 Hebrews 5.11 says this, Concerning him, we have much to say. Okay, he was giving him some spiritual truths. I mean, there's some deep stuff here. And then the author here writes, Concerning him, um, we have much to say. And it is difficult to explain since you have become poor listeners. Ouch. Poor listeners. You know, imagine if we're all in church and um, the pastor's preaching and he says, you know, I have a lot to tell you guys, but you've become poor listeners, so I'm just going to skip these, these pages. Like, Whoa. But what if it's true? What if the fact that we become poor listeners and we're not listening, we're not heeding the word, we're not growing, we're not desiring, that's a heartbreak for a pastor. That's a heartbreak for a minister. That's a heartbreak for a parent if they see their child not wanting to learn things. How so with the Lord seeing us not wanting to learn or being poor listeners? Verse 12 says this, For though by, now, by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And we know the picture. Milk is for babies and solid food is for grown-ups. And there's that growing up again. And look at verse uh, 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Verse 14 says, but solid food is for the teleos. It's for the mature. It's for the perfect. I use the word perfect because you're going to see the word perfect, but you know I don't mean perfect I mean teleos, growing, the mature. But solid food is for the mature, who because of, pra- because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The benefits of learning God's word. How can we not have a genuine desire to learn God's word? It guards us. It protects us. 
It helps us to train up our families, to love our spouses, to build up the body, to serve God, to minister to people so that they can come to faith. So, but solid food is for the mature, for the teleos. Now teachers, when you say teachers, for those of you that are like, whoa, I don't want to be a teacher, we're not talking about being scholars. We're not talking, I don't think any of us are ever going to be scholars, um, except maybe Pastor Joe, but I don't think many of us are going to be scholars. But what we're talking about here is, is teaching. There's all types of ways that we teach. Some of you are parents. Some of you are good friends, mentors. You are a Christian. You are a teacher in my book. I think in the Lord's book. Because you are being read by everyone. You are ministering to someone somewhere by loving one another, by loving your enemies. We are teaching people about Christ with our lives, with our words. So, but you can't teach much if you don't really know much. So if you haven't been figuring out, strengthening your walk, growing in your knowledge of the word, then you're not going to have much to teach about. So we can't remain infants. There is an extreme danger of remaining an infant. Um, We have to grasp uh, scriptures like this. 2 Timothy 3.16. Everyone knows this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How can we not have a genuine desire to learn God's word when we see scriptures like this? 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. That's loaded, that verse right there. Be diligent. There's that word again, spudadzo, to hasten, to endeavor, to give diligence, to present yourself. And to present yourself, that peristemi, that means to make yourself readily available. Making yourself readily available uh, to the Lord. Presenting ourselves. There's a lot of scriptures that speak about presenting ourselves um, not to sin, but presenting ourselves for righteousness instead of the flesh, on and on like that. Um, but we are we presenting ourselves and saying, you know what, here I am. Use me. We need um, maybe even a teacher for a, when, a Sunday class that you would maybe give it a shot and be used. Make yourself readily available. And put yourself in a teaching spot. You know, it means to stand beside, to be at hand. It reminds me of this. Um, years back, I was coaching youth football. And <clears throat> when you're coaching youth football, you know, it's in the middle of the game sometimes. And there's one kid, maybe, and he's not doing something right. He's not doing something right. And I, I would usually turn and say, get 56 out of there and give me somebody else. And so... When I would do this, I would tell the kids, listen, I want you to pay attention. I want you to be ready. I'm not going to use you if you're over there looking at the decals on your helmet or, you know, tying your shoes, doing, and not paying attention to the game. And so I would told them, I want to see your eyes on me so that when I'm doing something, I turn around, I know that you're ready and you're ready to go. And there was one kid that stays in my mind. His name was Cole Beneshek. Great kid. Now he's a man. And he, was, he took that to heart. And so we'd be in the middle of the game, and every time 
I need to pull somebody out, or I just need an extra guy, or we had 11 guys on the field. And I turn around, I'm like, he would be right there, eyes dead on me. And I'd look at him, all right, get in there. And it was almost like always him, because he was always the one standing by my side, making himself readily available. We need to be like that with the scriptures. We need to be like that with the Lord. Eyes on him. What do I do now, Lord? When? Does he want me to do that? Does he want me to do this? I'm ready. Send me. That's the mindset that we need to have. And to be approved, to be, that means to be dokamas. That means to be pleasing and acceptable. Accurately handling the word of truth. You know, that, the Greek word there, accurately handling, it means to cut straight, like a craftsman, woodwork, to cut straight and to, to make smooth. And uh, it reminds me of, of a time, you know, if we're not being diligent, if we're not applying ourselves and really putting ourselves into our work, it reminds me of a time I was, I had to make like a wooden frame and I cut some wood. I was going to put up a flag and I wanted to frame it. <clears throat> and uh, so I was cutting wood and, and, and Carol asked me to do it. So I'm like, all right, cut the wood and I sanded it down. And, but I didn't do a diligent job. And I knew I didn't do a diligent job, like accurately handling the way this word means, to cut straight. I think the straight was, yeah, the cut was straight, but it wasn't smooth. I sanded it down, and when I was done, I ran my hand right about and slivers. I didn't do a good job. I went through the motions, but it wasn't enough. And if we're going through the motions and showing up for church, but we're not listening, we're poor listeners, we're not hearing, we're not desiring to learn, Gearing up for church and saying, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm going to learn something today. If that means taking notes, if that means, you know, sitting up in the front row, whatever it takes to remove the distractions, that's what we want to be. We want to be mature believers. I'll give you this last example. It's Psalm 1, uh, verse 2. Psalm 1 is a beautiful psalm, but I'll just share this verse. Verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in, and in his law he meditates day and night. Being like that guy who, who delights in the law. Now, delight means to pleasure, to de- desire, to long for something. And the question is, do we long, do we desire, is our delight in the law of the Lord? Now, the law, the Torah, which means direction, it means instruction. In other words, how the Lord wants me to live. Do I delight in how the Lord wants me to live? Or do I feel, well, I can't do that because that would be wrong. Or is it, you know what, I'm going to do what's right. I want to please the Lord. That might be tough, but I'm going to do it because I want to please the Lord. Delights. Something we enjoy doing. Is that, are we there yet? Are we at that stage of maturity where we desire to know and to do what the Lord has for us? The uh, verse 2 goes on to say he meditates day and night. That word meditates, hagah, means to, it means to moan, to speak or to mutter. Sort of like to speak to oneself. That's interesting because, you know, many of us might drive down the road and you're singing songs, right? You're singing some, some hymns or whatever it might be. That would be me. But singing songs. 
and uh, to yourself. I'm not singing to anybody. I'm singing to the Lord. I'm blessing the Lord. I'm just singing a song. But with with the scriptures, with the word, with the instruction that he has for us, are we meditating on it in the way of muttering it, speaking it to ourselves? In the sense of maybe meditating on scripture by way of memorizing it. Maybe a way of passing the time, learning the scripture. Joe often mentions he's memorizing scripture while he's hiking. And he's probably saying it out loud. But meditating on the word. Psalm 63.1 says this, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. Earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. That third mark of maturity is a genuine desire to learn God's word. Genuinely desiring it. You know, we live in a world that is parched and a weary land where it seems like there's no water. But when you have Christ, you know you're not part of this world. When we have Christ, it's a whole different ballgame. And we are in a place like this. But with maturity comes a desire to learn, a desire to put God first. And when we're learning, we learn to love. We learn to have harmony in the church, to have unity in the church. Matthew 5, 6. What does Matthew 5, 6 say? If you know it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We can be satisfied in this world where it seems there's no water, a parched land. But because we have the word of God. Last verse I want to share with you is Colossians 1, 28. It says, we proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person teleos, complete, mature in Christ. That's our heart's desire. That's the desire of Paul writing that letter. The heart should belong to us to desire to mature, to be growing. So, I want to leave you with that tonight. Those are the three principles or keys that I think are, are crucial. God first. God being first is, is, is above all the most important because when God is first, nothing will distract you. You'll be able to learn. You'll develop a desire to, to learn, to learn his word, to grow in his word, and to see growth this way with one another. That's important because we can become selfish in our faith. Selfish because I'm okay, I'm saved, I'm living right, he's got problems, but I'm okay. Instead of, I'm okay, so maybe I should help him. Because when the day comes when you might not be doing okay, you will be helped. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word.